and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare Conversations About Horror. I am, as I usually am, Catherine Troyer, and I am delighted to once again be joined by Anthony Tresca. Hey there! This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and just the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us today for our episode over 1991's Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, also called Nightmare Six. I gotta say that I, I'm really getting confused <laughs> now on like okay, is, on which one we are at because there's a new nightmare which is seven but somehow doesn't feel like it should be number seven so it's, we've gotten to the point where the naming is, is just nonsense which I it guess is, is fitting. It is certainly not intuitive in any no. sense. Freddy's Dead is number six and there are still like several more that we're gonna yeah. be going through. Uh, it's Freddy's Dead but uh I guess not that dead. As he says in this film, they tried to kill him so many times. I guess at a certain point, we're the the insane ones forever expecting him to actually be dead. Exactly. And I was actually (laughs) reading an article that was like, um, that said something about, you know, Freddy's dead is the supposed end of the franchise. And then they were like, until Freddy versus Jason. And I was like, so are they just... excluding new nightmare altogether right like so there's also this weird thing where like some you know that people have just decided that certain films aren't part of the the canon and it's just it's a hot mess i I, well i guess we'll obviously talk about this when a spoiler alert for i guess at the end of the episode where we were going to reveal that we're going to talk about new nightmare uh a little bit later Because we've announced it, like, every yeah. every time we're, like, we're working our way through. So, but yes, it, spoiler alert. It's not, <laughs> up next. It is not canonical. That one isn't. But this but this one is, and Freddy, but, and Freddy vs. Jason is. So, you know, it doesn't make a ton of sense. And that's fine. It really fine. doesn't. That's which fine. Dream logic. May, <laughs> I was going to say, which may or may not be the thesis for Nightmare 6 anyway, yeah. right? Which is that it doesn't make sense, dot, dot, dot. That's fine. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> it, it really, it, this film, right from the opening, when they come at you with two different quotes, one from Nietzsche and one from Freddy Krueger from Nightmare 3, Dream Warriors, <laughs> uh, right there, I, I knew that there this movie was going to be just a, a mess of clashing things. Yes. <laughs> I was hoping, because I laughed, right, when, when we got yeah, to the Welcome the, to Primetime. The juxtaposition is, is amusing. And I was kind of hoping that that would carry through because, um, you know, I actually really enjoyed the, not the scene in the, the plane, but the, like, homage to Wizard of Oz, right? Um, because you and I have talked before about the fact that what we would love to see is sort of a, like, Freddy through the grades. Um, yeah. and, and seeing him placed into all of these different existing genres and really well-known films. Um, and so I was, I was really excited for, for the first little bit because I had, this is the one that I for sure had not seen all the way through, mm-hmm. although I had seen the Johnny Depp cameo before. Um, I just hadn't realized it was in this film. Um, but 
you know, I, I kind of was excited because I was like, okay, they're thinking really creatively and outside the box. Um, but even in that example, I was also a little disappointed because what I really wanted to see in that sequence, um, so there's a, a moment in the original 1939 Wizard of Oz uh, where they're transitioning between the sepia-colored Kansas and the Technicolor Oz. Um, and there's a, you know, so they filmed the Kansas scenes on, on just, like, sepia-colored film stock, and they filmed mm-hmm. the other stuff on Technicolor. But there's this one moment in the film um, where Dorothy is, is emerging into Oz, and so they actually had to paint everything in the house, and she had to wear a costume that was all browns so that she could step into the Technicolor world, right? And then they changed her. And they, then the, the costume changed, Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's pretty and cool. I, it's it's amazing to be perfectly honest, and I got really excited because I was kind of hoping that um, in Friday or I'm going to call it Nightmare Six and Nightmare Six, um, that when he went from the dream world, the very obvious dream world, to the quote real world, I was hoping it would change from being in color to being in sepia, so that it would be the reverse of Wizard of Oz, so that there would be this kind of interesting commentary about the fact that like um, Freddy's world is in Technicolor, um, and maybe that's not a good thing after all. But but again, it was just like many things we've seen in the franchise, a good idea that was thrown in there, but without being put in there meaningfully. Yeah, it, when when he shows up as the Wicked Witch of the West, it's just a bit. And which yeah. is nothing wrong with that. You know me. I love yeah, a good comedy I gonna, bit. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever heard you say, it's just a bit in that tone of voice before. I feel rather like my world has been shaken. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you know, love yourself a good bit. I, I love myself a good bit. But I also, you know, I, I, I expect a little bit more from this franchise. If you're... I... I, I because in a good way, I'm like, I, this this franchise has a history of committing to bits and doing long extended sequences, but this one kind of just, ha- I think, operated in kind of a bit of a throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Because yes. are, there are a lot of characters in this movie. Yes. Um, and they go, they in, there are a lot of interesting set pieces, too. They move around, there's a lot of locations. I can't say they didn't try there's clearly so much passion there. I mean, the director and the person who came up with the story for Nightmare 6, Rachel Talalai, I that's the way I'm going to say it. Sure. I'll probably just say Rachel from here on out. Yes. Um, she has been involved in this franchise in numerous capacities from the very beginning. From starting off, she was an assistant production manager on the first film that worked her way up to being a line producer on Dream Warriors and then just an outright producer on Dream Master. And then she obviously in this one took the, the realm as director and head of story. And so she is clearly invested. And I've watched a couple interviews with her in preparation for this. When she was talking about this franchise, she was clearly aware of the legacy of the franchise. She was really respectful. She was like, I'm just honored to be a part of something that's bigger than myself, and this is going to go down in some capacity as being associated with this Nightmare franchise. And she was just, she was really excited about it. And so I, the passion is there. Yeah, you know, so we, we often talk about the, the frustration of the grab bag approach. And, and I think sometimes the problem 
with that is that it indicates a, a sort of like laziness or lack of, of investment on the, the writer or director because they're like, you figure it out. Whatever you audience want to pick out, that's what's in there. Sure. Um, and, and that's not what's happening here, right? So instead this like throwing things on the wall and seeing what sticks, it's like they're doing it because like you said, they're so passionate about it that they're like, we have so many ideas, too many ideas. We're going to throw as many at you as we can because they're maybe not all great, but at least you'll have a pretty good movie. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it didn't work because that, that particular method never works. But to your point about the, the sets, right? So when we get to the... Um, to the home for the the wayward children or whatever. Of I mean, course. there's a whole extended backstory about that that location, right? They're doing construction, yeah. so you know that there's something kind of going on there, um, and like you get a sense of um, the rooms a little bit, and like the fact that the dock is like down in the basement, like that. Just that set alone had a whole history to it, and that's before we get to Springwood, right? Um, which is itself also like the um, the town square that was having that weird fair. That's yeah. a whole um, that story a whole unto itself as well. Yeah, I, and I, I kind of liked that we jumped forward a bit in time in this one. Mm -hmm. I thought that yes. was at least an interesting way to do to do because I mean a lot of the previous nightmare films have kind of happened over roughly like the same like little tiny three year yes. four year period, which is. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot no. to tell in those four years, yeah, as absolutely. we've seen. There's about a roughly, I'm just spitballing here, worth. five <laughs> movies worth of stuff, yeah, to talk about. But I like that we jumped ahead and that it, the the conce central conceit of this movie was that Freddy had killed every single child in this town. I, it's a little. I mean, it's it's sick, but I enjoyed it. I was like, that's oh, a I good way to. I thought it was a clever premise. Yeah. It's like uh, when God takes away all the children. He's like, you are yeah. not worthy of this. As he, this, as he's, Freddy is a type of God, as he says in the first he movie. And, and what's interesting about that um, is that the film begins not by making Freddy, they don't, the film doesn't go so far as to make Freddy sympathetic, but, but the film makes it clear that, that Freddy has, you know, um, put himself in a corner, right? Because what happens when you, eat all of your food source right and the answer is is that you fade away um and so the idea of like um this all-consuming evil that consumes even even when he knows he has to like measure out his children right if there's no children he can't eat and that's like the whole premise is that he needs more sustenance that's a very clever idea um because it's one that that you know i think is is the sort of like next steps of a, of a lot of horror that's like, okay, but if this plague wipes out everyone who's left. Um, so that was a really interesting idea. Yeah, and the answer was that they were these city kids that they had to bring in exactly. to the town, which is another, like, um, at least it's a new direction for this. I mean, it's a change of the type, the usual stars of these films, which has previously been up till now basically like people who live who grew up in the suburbs they're like yes which is a very very different uh type of person than someone who grew up in the city like the like the three kids that we follow in this film on on the other hand though to, to play devil's advocate just a little bit um you know the the kids from the home um 
there was a lot of overlap between that and and dream warriors, right? Both in terms of them being from an institution, but also from them being like the same types of characters, right? We had the person who had a physical handicap. We had the rough um, girl with, but with a heart of gold, uh, you know, so we, we, we still had, um, which, which again, felt very strange because there were so many things that were very original um, to the story. And then there were these moments that I couldn't figure out if they were supposed to be like a return of some of our favorite well, moments from the... Do you want, do you want to yeah, know a little fun please, fact? I so do. the original idea for this film was to John Doe, who is the guy who is the last remaining survivor in Springwood and is gets brought back into the town in the plane sequence at the beginning. He he was originally not supposed to be that character. He was actually supposed to be uh, Jacob from the last film, the son oh. of Alice. Um, and then the dream warriors from Nightmare 3 were supposed to come back to help him. However, this idea was discarded, but not really. It's basically the same thing. They just kind of like removed the connections to the other film and made it worse for some reason. I don't know. I thought that when I read that, I was like, that's actually a pretty good idea. Well, so I've actually been reading a lot of things lately that have been the like, oh, but that's a much better idea for both five and six. Like, did you know that one of the original um, people that they were going to see about writing Dream Child was going to be Peter Jackson? Yeah. Oh, I did. That's right. Oh, my God. So it's like... You know, there's all these wild things that it's like, I, I, I can't figure out. Certainly it couldn't have been worse, right? Because let's admit it, five and six are, are weak, right? In, they in are a lot of In a lot of respects. Um, it would have been interesting to have, you know, I'm not always a big fan of a carryover, but it would have been interesting to have seen, to seen Jacob. Um, I think it would have. I mean, if Alice, one of the most boring characters i'm sorry to anyone out there who is a fan of the alice character from the nightmare franchise but she is not she is not a very compelling protagonist if she can carry over for two movies i mean i get come on at least give jacob a chance well and then we could have had this this um sort of like epic battle between um freddie's biological child versus freddie's spiritual child and it could become this weird nature versus nurture that would, have been a, that would have been a much more interesting story because then it, but unfortunately, I guess they, and it would have been really cool to then see Jacob murdered by Freddie instead of just when, when John Doe dies, I'm like, I, I don't care. I, you can't bring me to care about this name, no. this guy, you give him the name John Doe, this most, yeah. this every man's name. The problem with an everyman character, particularly in horror is that. You yeah. don't really care when they die. No, and and I really, I really didn't. Um, so one of the things that I, I found really interesting about this film, in terms of like how it was wanting us to care and respond to things, um, is that I, I wasn't always sure what the logic was in this film. And again, I understand that it's it's a, it's dream logic, so it's never quite made sense. But I, I feel like as as the franchise has progressed. There has been just like this real casual disregard for even the rules of the world. Um, and so I'm thinking, for example, of something, a scene that I actually really liked, but it made no sense. Uh-huh. And that is the, um, 
the scene where they're driving around in circles, right? Right, um, right. And then they, and I really like, really, really like the idea of Springwood as this carnivalesque liminal space where we literally have a carnival and then we have Roseanne, uh-huh. um, you know, there and, and she's a very carnivalesque figure. I actually really liked that idea, but it made no sense, <laughs> right? Um, even within this dream logic nonsense world, it still didn't make any sense. But I think the part that confounded me the most is how long it took, and I've said this now from the last several films, for Catherine Kruger's character to be like, oh yes, there is some sort of weird, you know, hijinks happening here. Because like, the the stoner gentleman is like, I mean, he is literally defying the laws of, of gravity. And she's like, no, no, kids, this isn't real. And it's like, how much, how much more do you need? Like um, literal, you can literally see it. It's the proof yeah. is right in front of you. Because as you said, Freddie is seemingly able to defy real world logic outside of yeah. the dream in this and one. He's, and he's done that to some extent in in all of them, right? So yeah. in, you know, in the first one, the fir- of course, you know, he gets hanged by the, the slithering, uh, you know, um, and there's sheet, the Johnny right? Depp bed. Yeah. So it's not that it doesn't happen. It's just the way it happened in this film just felt off. From, and from usually the the it does happen in isolation. Freddie, I guess maybe you could yes. say Freddie just got sloppy in this one, but I got to say it lowered the stakes substantially when yes. Freddie got sloppy because you're just like, well, what? there is legitimately no reason that these characters have to not just like be like, oh yes, that's it. That is clearly a problem. We should just, we should all focus all of our attention on stopping that. And so whenever these characters spend their time trying, being forced to try to win over the characters, when inevitably we, the audience knows that they will eventually get on board because we've seen five other nightmare movies at this point. Yeah, it's just a very tiresome trope because, like you said, even though this is new for the characters, it's not new for us. And so we want that shorthand of them to be like, you know what, this is bonkers, but you and I dreamed about the same place. I've been here before. Yes, it's real. You know, yeah. a quick, like, three-minute so, sort of acceptance. And I watched some of the, the making of Freddy's Dead, and Robert England was talking in there about how at this point, they, he feels a duty to give the fan, to like the nightmare films, to give the fans exactly this, the same thing. He's like, you got the dream sequences in there, and he's like, the thing we figured out after one is that every single dream sequence needs to be linked to the character's individual fears. And so he's just like, so I just feel like we just do that, and we just always do that over and over again. And I was like, yeah, I think that that is what you've done. But unfortunately, if that is all that you are doing, you're just trotting out the same formula over and over again. And that's just kind of... I can't I can't really be that impressed. Even when... No. Okay, even when occasionally there is some beautiful, like, special effects work. So I guess... I guess I, I do... There, I do like some of those moments, and particularly from watching the behind-the-scenes footage... It was really cool to see how the making of a lot of those shots and like they really did construct a a lot of the sets like the airplane set and they were able to do the flying away of things the carnival set was all practical as 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 always it the the effects in this these films look great although i will say that the effects in this film look great but they're not i didn't find any of the 
death scenes or the kill scenes to be nearly as memorable um, as they were in any of the others. So the effects work are good. However, I think that the... I think the formula at this point is just not... They're not doing anything interesting with it. And so they can put all these special and and practical effects on top of the lazy formulaic death scenes, but it doesn't do anything other than be like, oh yeah, that does look good, but it is pretty uninspired at this point. And the part of the problem, I think, in 6... Um, in addition to just kind of, I think they were kind of running out of steam, is that um, some of the other deaths are are sillier things or more frivolous. And so um, it's easier to, like, imagine someone turning into a bug. Um, or even the needles one, which is obviously drug addiction is a very serious thing. Um, they're not really just talking about addiction there. They're also talking about, like, fear of, of holes and, like, other things, right? But the, the deaths in, or the you know, the things that are terrifying our characters in this one, um, it's incest, right? It's sexual abuse from your father. Um, it's physical and emotional abuse from your father, uh, which, which is very fitting for a film that's about the ultimate, like, bad father, right? Freddy. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's no way to really, um, create a death scene with a, like, incest, parental rape that's that you're going to be like ooh, but check out them special effects yeah um you know we we get that somewhat with the um i thought the best death scene was with the gentleman who was uh hard of hearing uh or hearing impaired yeah really good because first off that idea of like uh the sound that a pen drops would make right it's so quiet that a pen could drop that you could hear a pen drop that was a very clever use of that phrase but also having that um sort of grafted um, the hearing aid grafted into him. Um, also the Q-tip, right? So that one, all the way through. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So that one really, like, it was like they ticked. Because what they have to remember is, yes, England's correct. It needs to match the character's fears. But it also needs to be something that we can be afraid of, too, right? And all of us can be afraid of the idea of having our ears punctured. Um and then of having something grafted to us, but then it's tied explicitly to his backstory. Yeah, the... Rachel talked about how this film felt particularly unique from the other Nightmare films because all of the main characters are directly being abused or have been traumatized by their parental figures. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, I suppose, she is right that this is the first one in which that is directly true of every single character in such an explicit way of, like, yes, they are all being very, like, abused clearly but this is not the first film to dive into sins of parents affecting the children every single film up to this point uh, and england actually used that phrase in this one he was like that's what i feel this film is about he was like this film is really about exploring the idea of that the children will have to pay for the sins of their father and i'm like that's what this film is about? Just number six? Yeah. Yeah. So I think we can come up with maybe one example in every film of a, of an okay parent. Not even a good parent. An okay parent. But one is not... Yeah. I mean, every single film, that's, that's a pretty, I would have argued, explicit theme. 
I, I, you would think, wouldn't you? Yeah. So I, I think that's that's interesting. I also, I think that the idea of um, of you know discovering that your father is is a monster, um, or is is more interesting than discovering that you are the child of a monster, if that makes sense, right? So like her big epiphany um, is that you know. She doesn't even remember it, except for in her dreams. Um, but, you know, her biology comes from Freddy Krueger. It would have been so much more interesting to me to have the film have been that she remembered her dad and she remembered him suddenly disappearing and she doesn't know why he disappeared. And then she uncovers that he's, you know, Freddy Krueger. And then she has to kind of like reconcile the dad she loved with the monster she now knows. Like, and I realize it's a pretty deep, deep thing to investigate, but like that would have been so much more interesting than just the like, oh, Freddy has a child. Well, it has to be one of you four characters and we're going to pretend to make it Trixie by making you think it's a son the whole time. You know, like, it yeah. just was real weak sauce in a lot of respects. Yeah. Which, again, is such a pity because there were just some moments that I would have loved to have seen developed. I actually found the scene with the the woman who um, was running the orphanage and there were no children there, but she was talking to them. That was very eerie. That, that was, was very good. creepy. I liked the teacher in the high school scene. Yes. I actually wished that they had committed more to this silly yes. timeline that they established that... It, Freddy Krueger came over on the boat in 1492 with Christopher I Columbus. And I then love it. There's a Freddy Krueger apparently killed Elvis. I'm like, yes. where? And all these various Freddy sightings. I was like, you. Why is this not the movie we're seeing? Why can't we just go through? If you have oh, this amazing timeline that supposedly goes all the way back to 1492 of Freddy being yes. killing, being and killing in America. Why are you not making that movie? I don't know. That would have been so much fun. Even if they had just limited it to um, a group of kids are on a road trip. We've all learned by now that in horror that road trips are a bad idea. Although I did take a road trip recently that was lovely. So I can say out there for any of you who just heard this and canceled your road trip plans... You don't necessarily need to have canceled right away. They can be good. I want to add to, for the listener's benefit, that, like, if you had been murdered horribly, I feel like you would have had all the warning signs possible. Because you went to the middle of nowhere on a ranch in Texas where the internet and and phone service was spotty. Listen, I, mean, I know, I, I know, I yes, I yes, and listeners... Uh, Recent listeners of the podcast will know that we just recorded our Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. episode right before this. So I, I had, I am well aware of all that can happen when you are isolated on a ranch in Texas. And yet I went anyway, and it was lovely. So you know See, what? Road trips can be good. <laughs> you're the reason that people keep taking road trips and dying in horror movies. <laughs> um, Me, single-handedly? You single-handedly have caused that phenomenon. <laughs> but if, if the film had started with a road trip, right, and the teens um, run out of gas, get a flat tire, insert excuse, um, and they're in Springwood, and then maybe the mechanic is like, the car will be done into, into in. 72 hours or 24 hours or whatever. Um, And then we had spent the entire time with them wandering around Springwood, right? Going to the bizarre um, 
carnival, wandering into the school, and then deciding to spend the night, you know, in the the Kruger home. That would have been such a better film. Yeah. And yeah. because it would have it would have taken all the great p- components. And a lot of people, a lot of people criticize very heavily uh, the cameo of like Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold in specific. Um, less so, I think Alice Cooper, but I, I think particularly Roseanne and Tom. Um, but but to me, that uncomfortableness. Although I don't think that was the intention at the time. I think the intention at the time was to get a famous celebrity in the film. But sure. now, especially knowing like how icky is of a human Roseanne is. Um, in, in real life, like it just actually adds a layer because you're just like, there's no way to not read this town as wrong. Um, and I just would have enjoyed seeing it explored, um, deeper. I also just would have cut out the whole, and I realize this is the title, but the Freddy's dead part. Cause I thought it was going to be a title referring to the fact that, that Freddy has has made himself essentially dead because he has no victims left. Yeah. The whole, like, final countdown, showdown, and then that weird music at the end that's like, Freddy's dead, but is he? Right? Like, it just, uh-huh. it was a really weird conclusion to the, to the film, period, let alone to what was supposed to be the end of a franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the song was kind of fun playing over the clips from previous films at I the guess. end. I yeah, thought that, that yeah. I thought that it made for a pretty tasteful homage to the work of yes. the other film. And I think that, that that kind of homage and even this to some extent the like they the fact that they used that song or that song, that titular song for it. You know, it shows a, it shows a real respect at least for the again, the legacy of the franchise and you know, that's that's good. I like I actually did I mean, the fact that my favorite part is seeing the other films again <laughs> in the end does not does not speak well for this film, no. but... Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, because it, it brings us back to what has been our thesis for the last couple of podcast episodes on Nightmare. Um, maybe as early as four, but certainly um, with the last five, and that yeah. is, the, you know, but at the end of the day, the the worst Nightmare film is still a heck of a lot better than some um, other horror that exists. And I think the answer is because of the degree to which everyone respects the f- existing franchise, the characters they're working with, and the fans. Yeah. You know, it, it just, you when you have Robert England involved and, and the craftsmanship and dedication he brings to that character on behalf of the fans, you're not going to ever have a film that is the worst thing you've ever seen. Yeah. I... England is still trying here. All of the actors are trying, although admittedly, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be too mean, but this is some of the weaker acting in the entire franchise, from just about from just about everyone across the board. But particularly, I think that you could tell a real distinct difference in like the extras that they got for this film, because anyone who was like the side characters were just abysmal. I thought. <laughs> I, you are absolutely correct, but I, I won't lie. It's a it's a pretty low bar for me when it comes to this franchise because of Alice and uh, that's Nancy oh, and Nancy's that's mom. Fair. So what are you talking um, about, Oscar for <laughs> Nancy's mother? Yeah, yeah. That's oh gosh. Every time I watch that movie, I just laugh. Anytime she's in any of the scenes, because she's just so over the top. Um, I did enjoy uh, the 
cameo uh, with Johnny Depp. With Johnny Depp. Seth, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that that he he came back and did the cameo more because she had just directed Crybaby and he was in that, which is also such a weird film, um, and was just, like, asking him a favor than because of, like, his long-standing love or affection for the franchise. Um but, you know, that was kind of nice. And that sequence was pretty funny, too. The, the stoner, it was. The stoner sequence was uh, the probably the most inspired sequence of the film because at least it was really visually interesting. And I think it was the most universal, like what we were talking about, where it was specific oh, to the character. But it was also something that could be more, that the audience would also perhaps find kind of like overwhelming at least so i thought the the video game aspect was was very it was a very clever addition um you know as someone who in 91 knew about but didn't have right the nintendo glove right um you know it's it cracks you know it was a very funny addition because it was it was perfect right they were like ooh. Someone had their thinking cap on, right? Because they were like, "Ooh, we can make the Nintendo glove and fa- Freddy's gloves." So that was that was clever. I think for me, though, I still think that the the more universal one was, um, and the one I found more interesting was, was the, the death the, the deaf guy. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, his his was good too because it was really gross, right? Um, and it was it it was a bit more body humor. I think my problem with the stoner one is that it just kind of went on forever. That's true. I, I was referring to, I think the first half of the scene. I didn't like the video game sequence as much because okay. it just kind of felt rem- too reminiscent of the sequence from the fifth film. Right. Um, so I was like, eh, the comic book sequence, because they did right, a lot right. of the same gags. They yes. even had a super car- him turn into a super version of yes, himself. They did. So I was like, I didn't like that part, but I thought the ether- like the more ethereal part at the beginning where you saw on the teeth, the Johnny Depp part of the scene with the brain on it. Yes. I liked that part yes. a lot. That was at least fun. But eh. I think what this franchise needs to remember as it continues, you know, to think about new additions is that we the audience know some things that 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 should change how you film it right so we know who freddy is so we need the characters to figure it out pretty fast yeah also we know that freddy's gonna win right so there was this moment i think this is the reason i i wasn't as keen on this stoner scene there was a that, that sort of extended like you know but we're gonna try to rescue him and let's see if we can do it and huzzah we know that that's not an option right we know failure is is going to happen except for at the very end of this particular film, right? But like, I, I just, I would like to see f- uh, a version of, of Freddy where it's, I don't know, just a bunch of, of the dream sequences and, and him defeating people and instead of this, like, you know, but let's band together and save the day because we know that's not going to ever work. It never has and it never will. You can't ask the audience to suspend disbelief very much on, and it, with key information like that. Like, exactly people that this is some first act stuff you got to get all that out of the way in the first act in a film like this i think so that then you can spend the rest of the movie doing what is interesting and having fun with these characters yes i also think that moving like this franchise i think it thrives best when they are singular stories that are broadly connected to the larger universe but are also really specific so you've got to change everything you can't. I, I, this film was a lot of like, 
they're at the school again. They're at the mental yeah. facility again. They're in Springwood again. They're on Elm Street again. It's like, okay, the, what I like, what works so well, I think, about the first three in particular, four even, is that each one was a totally unique location, independent of the other films. So you got a new experience. This one was just kind of like the same locations trotted out again. As you said that, I realized. I realize exactly what this film feels like. Go for it. What is it? It is like the farewell tour of a beloved band that's uh -huh. going to return back to all of their favorite songs, but by this point, all of their vocal cords are messed up. One of them is, has been on drugs for the last 15 or 20 years, and it's never going to sound as good as it did on the original album, but you still go and pay an exorbitant amount of money because you're hoping desperately to recapture the magic, but the magic's gone, and so it's just going to be the greatest hits, not so great. And, th and that's really what it was. This was the final tour, right? And it was meant to be. It was meant to be, like you said, that we see at the end, the like homage to all the other films. This was supposed to be our... We're going to visit all the places you love best. Um, we're going to uh -huh. introduce some of the plots you love best. But unfortunately, it was not as good as the first time we were there. <laughs> no. I, I By the end, I was ready to say farewell. Yes. But we will not we be saying farewell entirely to this franchise. Because, as we said at the beginning, this franchise doesn't end bum, bum, at this bum. one. So, we're going to talk about that uh, new Nightmare, I guess, on a Nightmare 7 release. It's the seventh release Nightmare film, but it's not in the canon. We'll get more into that <laughs> at a later time. But that's actually not where we're going next, even. No, so if you are a uh, regular listener, you know that we've been spacing our, our Nightmare and Elm Street um, films out so that it's every other episode, um, just to kind of give you a palate cleanser in between. Um, and, and I would say that after six, we, we need a bit of a palate mm -hmm. cleanser. Um, and so, Anthony, what is our next episode going to be on? Oh, it's a palate cleanser for sure. We are going to be cleansing your palate by discussing 2009's Jennifer's Body. Uh, camp looks good on Megan Fox, so you're going to want to tune in to that episode. Um, what else do we want people to know? Yeah, so we would like you to feel free to contact us. You can. Uh, we're pretty active on social media. You can follow us uh, or reach out to us on all of those. Um, the description, uh, I mean, the information is in our description below. Um, and you can also send us an email. And as you learned, if you w listen to our Texas Chainsaw episode, uh, if you make suggestions of films you would like to see us talk about, we are more than happy to, to add them into the rotation. Tell a friend, mm -hmm. share this with others. Uh, and I think the last thing we need to tell them, Anthony, is to have a spooktacular day.